Ladies, here is Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue. It's Cal Dodd here, voice of Wolverine from X-Men, the animated series, Bub. I want you to join me at The Uncanny Experience, the ultimate destination for X-Men fans just like you. Where you will become a mutant student at Xavier's. And be able to explore the school campus, shop the vendor hall, and meet the creators and stars of the X-Men universe. There'll be panels, parties, immersive activities all throughout the historic mansion. Whether you're a fan of the comics or the movies or the animated series, you'll find something to love. This is Chris Claremont. I'm looking forward to seeing you all at the Uncanny Experience. It's going to be one hell of a ride, Bob. I bet it will be uncanny. Get your tickets now, sugar, at the uncannyexperience.com. Bum bum bottom, 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 bum you are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. In this episode, we ascend as if astral projected through our own wildest dreams to the top of the DC booth at San Diego Comic-Con to talk to writer Nicole Maines about her upcoming graphic novel, Bad Dream, a dreamer's story. August is nearly done, as is our San Diego Comic-Con coverage, which <laughs> happened back in July. Time is like taffy. We just pull it <laughs> and stretch it. Well, you know, I, like, like we've been saying every week, you know, this past San Diego Comic-Con really was a record-setting event for comic book couples counseling and was filled with many wild dreams. Mm. And then when we got back home, the wild dreams kept on happening. My birthday was just this past Friday, and I achieved one of my new dreams <laughs> of going to Hell's Kitchen in Washington, D.C. This is truly an example of how to become one. Because <laughs> when we started our relationship, I was the only individual who was obsessed uh -huh. with cooking competition TV shows. Uh -huh. And I watched them all. Uh -huh. I watched uh -huh. Top Chef uh -huh. and Master Chef. Yep. And Chopped and Cutthroat Kitchen and all of this stuff. And then a pandemic happens. And then a pandemic <laughs> happened. And the stuff we would generally watch separately, we were suddenly watching together. Right, because we were always in the same room exactly. or the same building together. We could not escape each other. So that meant if Lisa wanted to watch some Cutthroat Kitchen, Brad had to watch some Cutthroat Kitchen. And then Brad discovered that Brad loved Cutthroat <laughs> Kitchen. And then Brad loved Top Chef. And then Brad had to watch all the shows that Lisa had already watched. And Lisa's like, well, I've seen MasterChef already. And I was like, well, guess what? I'm going to watch all of MasterChef too. 
And that led to us finally watching Hell's Kitchen, which was a show I never thought I was ever going to enjoy because I thought the character of Gordon Ramsay, you know, putting like two slices of bread against that poor chef's head and saying like, what are you? An idiot sandwich. I was like, that's toxic and evil. Which is true. Which is, is true. Uh, but also turns out I really love Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> we film watching it in reverse, starting with the most recent Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, so you get to see our society really crumble going backwards. So it yeah. does show like, well, we've made baby steps to the elevator regarding progress. <laughs> right, right. It, in fact, we haven't gotten to the idiot sandwich season. No. It must be very, very early. I, yeah, I'm nervous. We have agreed. We have held hands and looked deep into each other's eyes and said, like, if it gets too toxic, we can jump ship and stop watching Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, and, and I keep waiting for that to happen, and we've bumped against that <laughs> possibility, but then also, I'm like, oh, is this Wellington going to be rendered correctly? I gotta know! Yeah, so all of that is to say... Ten years ago, I never imagined that going to Hell's Kitchen would have been Brad's <laughs> birthday treat and not my birthday uh -huh. treat. It's really all coming up Millhouse yeah. for me. <laughs> I, I think you actually said as we were so first off, you know, to go to Hell's Kitchen, you have to you have to book your table months in advance. We booked this, I think, back in June. Because we wanted to do it for our anniversary. And we couldn't make that happen. And no dis dinner reservations were available. And then I was like, well, what about my birthday on the 18th? And, and we there like, was no dinner reservations available then either. So we said, well, there is a noon table. So let's grab lunch at Hell's Kitchen. You mm -hmm. can still get the Wellington. That was the only thing I was concerned <laughs> about was the Wellington. As long as I can eat the Wellington, I'll be happy. And so we got to the wharf early about an hour early and we were walking around and one of the things you said to me is like well this actually feels like it's my birthday is this my birthday present and your response was weirdly defensive <laughs> like well, am i taking your thing <laughs> i am an only child lisa <laughs> so i was like no this is not your birthday present this is my birthday <laughs> present and uh you know uh, eventually i let that only child you know subside a little bit and I I allowed you to enjoy my birthday also. So generous. <laughs> uh, now what can we say about the Hell's Kitchen experience? Was it everything we thought it was going to be? Well, in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. We, of course, have to say, like, expectation is the enemy of a good time. Absolutely. So we were very much anticipating this lunch and, and we had planned we thought, it out, yeah. right? So we knew we wanted the signature dishes. And we also knew we didn't want to be those people who ordered everything right up front. We wanted to do this in stages because we... Wanted you know, to pretend we were making decisions. Well, we... No, I, I mean, look, maybe that's true in your case. For me, I wanted to make sure that we weren't doing the usual Brad thing of let's scarf down the food as quick as possible. Mm. Because we were going to be spending so much money. Yes. We wanted to make this experience last as long as possible. And it is an absurd amount of money that one, we can barely afford and we certainly could not afford it on the regular basis. Yeah, we were really trying to make an experience out of it because it's a rare extravagance. Yeah, yeah. And, and we know that part of that price tag is the novelty of it being a Gordon Ramsay yes. Hell's Kitchen restaurant. Yes. Despite the fact that this is not like a real, like they've never shot Hell's Kitchen in DC. Like, in fact, they couldn't. I, I was like, could they if they had, like, there's no way. You there's could no get. way. Not at the wharf, no. 
Um, so it, there was like a weird like fantasy cosplay element Absol- to being yes. I mean, it, it feels very silly. Like yeah, and I I had the the giggles the way that you get when you're feeling like you're pretending. Yeah, you know? it was like um. It was like going to medieval times. Yeah, yeah, it was going yes. to Gordon Ramsay medieval times. Yeah, but again, so much more expensive. Right. And we had scoped out the menu. We knew about how much we were going to be spending. We saved for this opportunity. And so, yes. So we had our menu picked before we even walked in the door. And we knew we wanted the signature dishes, the signature hot apps and the signature entrees. The hot apps being, you know, the scallops, the pan-seared scallops, the lobster risotto, uh, the the Wellington, the beef Wellington for me, and the uh, crispy skin salmon. And really, Brad wanted all of it. <laughs> right, right. You guys know that I have reservations when it comes to consuming a lot of meat. You know, I have complicated moral things about it. But also, uh, you know, I contain multitudes. And I, and I appreciate those multitudes, Lisa. <laughs> um, and, and so that's what, so we planned that. We had a lovely waiter. Uh, I asked him, well, how like heavy are these two apps? Like if we get these two apps for both of us, are we not going to have room for the entrees? And he was like, well, it depends on how hungry you are. And I was like, well, I haven't eaten since dinner the night before. Yeah. I'm prepared. He's like, you'll be fine. Uh-huh. Of course he said that. But he was super nice. He, he was super nice. Uh, his name was Bruno. Uh-huh. And he asked, you know, like, well, have you ever gone here before? No, this is our first time. He's like, oh, have you ever watched the show? And I was like, well, maybe an episode or two. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we got the appetizers. And so... I would say that the pan-seared scallops were really darn good. But they weren't seared on both sides. They which were Which is not. a huge uh, sticking point on the show. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, part of me was like, well, should I send these back? Never. <laughs> never. But the retail manager in me could never do that. So I accepted the scallops seared on one side, and they were crazy delicious. Yes. The lobster risotto... Not my thing. I love lobster. I love risotto. But this was I. I this was I was, I was underwhelmed it. by it. Here's my issue with it. It was so served at, on a cold plate. Yeah. And the risotto was loose enough to make the pool of risotto. But when you do that, there's a lot of surface area exposed, so it cools down very quickly. Yeah, it was like a buffet plate. Yeah, it was not a satisfying temperature. And so I was a little cold. Was disappointed by that, and then I started to worry about my Wellington. Oh no! <laughs> I was like, am I going to be disappointed by my beef Wellington? And I've never had any kind of beef Wellington. I never had the desire to have a beef Wellington until I watched Hell's Kitchen. But then the desire became real and yeah. solid, and I was craving it. And I, I, this is at the point where I started to get a little nervous. So we finish our hot apps and the waiter comes back. He's like, so Harrow, are you full? And I was like, no, nah, we're not full. And we ordered the entrees and we actually ordered another side of wild mushrooms. Which were delicious. And when, yeah, when they showed up, when all of those things showed up, I honestly would say like my favorite thing of the whole meal were those wild mushrooms. Oh yeah. And the Wellington was real darn good. Thank goodness. I was very satisfied by the Wellington. However, there was white fat exposed. And as any Hell's Kitchen viewer knows, that white fat should have been rendered out. So it was a little undercooked. So these are standards we've only gotten through television. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like, I do wonder like, 
having the Hell's Kitchen show, does it actually do any favors to the Hell's Kitchen restaurant? Because now we have these expe- these standards that would not exist otherwise. Well, when we got there, Hell's Kitchen was not that full, and it actually felt a little weird to be like... We got there at like 11.40, which is a little early for a heavy meal. Yeah, and there just were not a lot of people in the room. Right. But it started to fill up, and I started to really watch what people were doing as they were getting their food, and I did not see anybody said anything back. Oh, yeah. Right. No. And, and, because it was all delicious. It tasted great. And that's the thing. So you, I cut into this Wellington, and it was very chewy. It was very flavorful. Uh, the, the textures were incredible. Um, satisfied all the way through. Right. And the, Well, I will say, like, the mashed potatoes or, like, the potato puree that was on the plate was maybe, like, not the most exciting side. Right. Uh, but it's still tasty. It's still what tasty. It came with, so. And then the crispy skin salmon. I've never had a crispy skin salmon. I've had lots of salmon in my life, but I've never had one that has a skin that you can tap like creme brulee. Yeah, yeah. And that was also crazy delicious. It's good because it's salty, it's fatty, it's like eating bacon. Yeah, 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 bacon. It was like bacon on top of your salmon. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. And the lentils that accompanied that with the fennel salad was right. also really, really delicious. Yes. We did also get cocktails, yes. too. Yes, I, I was going to say, because when you said uh, the mushrooms were the best thing, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. My cocktail was really good. You had the notes from Gordon, which was a gin-based drink? Right, and it had lemon and lemongrass and green tea like it 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 claimed a lot of flavor notes that I don't know if I necessarily could catch but it was like your your standard like kind of sweet kind of tart uh gin drink which I love but what I didn't know when I was ordering it is that it would come with like a union jack yeah wrapped around that was like supposed to be a note from Gordon a literal note from Gordon yeah and I I opened it up and it said that this fish is so raw, it's still finding Nemo. And I was just like, this is your restaurant, dude. Like, do you really want to put that in the back of my mind? But He's it a was character, cute. right? Like, he, he is a brand. He is a character. He has carefully constructed that character. And he's got to sell that character. Yeah. And then my drink was the Meet Your Maker. And it was a Maker's Mark bourbon-based drink. And it was... With it, strawberry. It was good. It was very good. Yeah, strawberry and apple. Um... But yours was the superior drink. Yeah, and it was maybe... so good. And I liked it because it was tall. Yeah, like, a lot I, of it. I like a cocktail that, that drinks like an actual beverage. So maybe that was the most delicious thing. I don't know. It I think really, the mushrooms. Really I'm going with the mushrooms still. And then we closed out the meal with dessert and we shared a sticky toffee pudding. Which Bruno said was on him. And, Very and, sweet. And, <laughs> yeah. Because it, uh, it was Brad's birthday. Yeah, and I pop- let everybody know that yeah. it was my birthday. Yeah. The hostesses wished me a happy birthday. Bruno wished me a happy birthday. And they gave him a candle and did not sing no which singing. is like the best but lisa's saying a little bit like She's quietly like, happy birthday mr president <laughs> um and uh yeah i like the sticky toffee pudding was, was bomb divine. and i do not use that ridiculous term lightly it was so good <laughs> yeah i i like and you know, uh, when the bill came and I saw, oh, they did take the, the cappuccinos off, uh, which we had with the sticky toffee pudding, and they took the sticky toffee pudding, and, you know, th- then I paid the bill, and uh, I was, you know, it was my birthday event. We, mm-hmm. we spent, uh, you know, an hour and a half there, almost two hours there, and I, I've never had a birthday quite like it, and it was wonderful to share with you, and I liked that it was something that really was a gift from you. Yeah. You know, before you, I never would have done anything like this. Aww. And so it felt like, you know, 
a twofer. It felt yeah. like a twofer gift from Lisa. Yeah, but now I want to go when we... Uh, we're considering going to Vegas for my 40th birthday, and I was like, should we get our reservations for Hell's Kitchen now? Because I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I am a third child, and I was like, we should have an equally lavish thing for my 40th well, birthday. Well, we got we to look at that bank account, because we've got a lot going on this fall, which we'll talk about in the outro. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be in many places this fall, yeah. and we're very excited about all of that. And hopefully one of them is Las Vegas for Lisa's we'll birthday. Day. On we'll the 27th see. of December. Uh, turning 40. Turning 40. Ooh, I, I, I didn't say how old I was. I, 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 you know, I didn't want, didn't want to say well, how Well, I'm the were. kind of 40 where people look at my picture and go like, 40, no way. And I go, yes, I keep very good care of myself. <laughs> but I also want to thank everybody on social media and who texted me and messaged me, uh, wishing me a, a happy birthday. All of those notes meant so much to me. I, you know, I get... Lately, in recent years, the last two birthdays, I've gotten a little melancholic around mm-hmm. my birthday. And it it really does mean a lot when you send me a message just saying happy birthday, Brad. Um, and, you know, it was quite emotional. It was yeah. quite emotional to get those all throughout the day while I was stuffing my face of Beef Wellington <laughs> and beyond and beyond. And then after that, we went to my parents' house and, oh, actually, we went to Third Eye Comics because you got to go to your comic book store on your birthday, bought some comics, and then we went to my parents' house and had actual birthday cake. Overall, and great a day. A great, great birthday, a great birthday, a great birthday. And uh, yeah, so yeah, and, and you know, Hell's Kitchen. We so did fun. it. So, so fun. fun, so fun. Is it as good as like the taco stand down the street, Lisa? I would have seen, if it just came down to the food, Senior Ramones. Yeah. Every week. It's my favorite food. It's, it's my so favorite good. food. And, and you know, like on Hell's Kitchen and MasterChef, they always talk about like, oh, you really elevated that humble taco. And every time they say that, I want to punch them in the face. Tacos are <laughs> the most delicious food. Yeah. It and just drives me crazy. It doesn't need to be elevated because it is all no. already at the top no. of the, the yeah, food, food chain. Food yeah. chain. Yeah, is the that food pyramid. Yeah, know. it's 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 the it, it's it hangs. You guys get the intention of our metaphor, even if we can't articulate. <laughs> no, our I'm metaphor. doing it. Okay, the, go the for taco it. Taco is the sun that hovers above the food pyramid. That's right. <laughs> okay, now everyone's like, "That's all great. I'm glad you had a good birthday, Brad." But we're here for Nicole Baines. <laughs> well, you know what? You you have that 15 second skip button. You listen to us blather on like that's your fault. <laughs> so we had this conversation with Nicole at San Diego Comic-Con International on Saturday. We actually had to run from our conversation with Todd McFarlane, which you hopefully listened to last week. And we had to run from the Image Comics booth to the DC Comics booth to make this interview. And as cool as it is to have an interview inside a Comic-Con booth like we did at Image, it's a whole other thing to go atop a booth. Speaking of exalted places. Yes, and sit on a couch and have a conversation with Nicole Maines with this 360-degree view of the exhibit hall. I've always seen these interviews on, you know, TV, YouTube, you know, DC Comics' page, Sci-Fi Channel, that kind of stuff. And I've always gone like, wow, I would love to be on top of one of those booths one day. And we've been going to Comic-Con for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. And... You know, this is our first time as press and as first time press attendees, we finally got to go atop the DC Comics booth and it was everything that I imagined. Yeah, it was nice up there. We felt special. 
And we got to finally meet in person Michael and Clark from DC. We also met Ashley from Popverse. She was doing an interview with Rom V up there. And uh, Nicole was in process of an interview. And while she was finishing up that interview, we were sitting on this couch next to Nicole's mother. Yeah, it was like a, a family affair. But it is a little weird, right? So when you do an interview at the Image Comics booth, you're like around the corner. You can't see the interview that's going on in progress. But here you get to just watch Nicole wrap up this conversation. And they seem to be having the best time. And you go, are we going to have as good a time with Nicole <laughs> as she's currently having with this person? And we didn't get that person's name. Yeah. So we can't like link to their interview with Nicole. Uh, I, I wish we had like touched base with them. But like that interview, like they were having, yeah, they were having a blast. And you're, you're getting a little jealous of their blast. Granted, once we got to our interview, we've just found out that Nicole is a ray of sunlight and she makes everyone feel so special and she makes us feel like oh no we did have the best time which i think is the hallmark of a great interviewee and and person this is actually our second time talking to Nicole Maine. She was previously on the podcast along with Mark Wade and Leah Williams discussing Lazarus Planet. Mm -hmm. So click on the links in the show notes and check out that episode if you have not already. But this is our first interview of having Nicole all to ourselves, which I think was like, yes. Yeah, and gave us an opportunity to really drill into the dreamer character, mm -hmm. uh, the character who has been popping up in events like Lazarus Planet, but also, you know, Superman, Son of Kal-El, and will be a Appearing in a new graphic novel next year, comes out on April 2nd of 2024, Bad Dream, A Dreamer Story, which Nicole Maines has written, and it is illustrated by Rye Hickman. So we didn't have any material to read for this interview, so this interview is a lot more like process-based than our general comic book couples yeah, counseling convo. Yeah, but I love her talking about how the comic book creator community has really embraced her and is setting her up for success to make her story about Dreamer come true. And I always love to hear someone who comes from one artistic medium mm -hmm. discuss what it's like to enter a new artistic medium and what does working with Dreamer in comics reveal to her about her character. Yeah. So as we've already said, it happened atop the DC Comics booth. So all of Comic-Con is happening around us. So you're going to hear that white noise. Which we consider ambiance. You know, I was really concerned about it before we published our conversation with Eric Burnham at the IDW booth talking about Saturday Morning Adventures Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh -huh. But having listened to that episode, as well as our Todd McFarlane episode, I actually really like the ambiance. Yeah, yeah. Credit to those tiny Zoom recorders. Amazing. They do a great job. Amazing. They should sponsor us. <laughs> Everyone should. Everyone should. Why not? We're great. So why don't you kick back, you know, turn that volume up <laughs> and enjoy this conversation with Nicole Maines at San Diego Comic-Con International 2023. Yes, Comic Book Couples Counseling. I love it. I'm so excited about learning more about Dreamer's origin story, but I am still just taken with your origin story as a comic book writer. Thank you. Like, the story of you going into DC and pitching and them going like, well, why don't you write it? Yeah, so, wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Yeah, that was a curveball for, for old Nicole. <laughs> but now you've gotten to stretch your writing legs yeah. a little bit with Lazarus. 
I mean, I'm still very new to all of this, and I'm still very, I don't know what anything is. But DC has been really, really fantastic of walking me through the baby steps, and, and I've had really great mentors, getting to work with Mark and Tom and Paul and, and Andrea, and everyone has been really, really awesome and really supportive. I love the idea of going, like, dreamer deserves to continue to exist. Yes. This story is necessary and needs to be yeah. out there. And it's like, and those shoes are there, and you are the person to fill them. Apparently. <laughs> I mean, I was saying earlier, it truly demonstrates how like little I understood about comic book writing, that I went in pitching an ongoing for a character who had never had anything, and being like, yeah, here's a story for an ongoing for a new character. You should find someone to write this, not me. Just someone to write this story that I came up with. Yeah. Easy. Like, no easy. <laughs> and they were like calling my bluff, and they were like, okay, go write a graphic novel. Yeah, but well, I think that the, um, the YA space is such a beautiful place. It's been really for awesome. Vietnam. Yeah, it's great. I mean, she has a story that I think is so important for a lot of young folks right now, especially a lot of young queer folks. Um, and getting to share that and it gets to expand on her origin story has been really rewarding and getting to have oh how did she meet this character how does this look how does this relationship look back home getting to delve into her family life getting to expand on Naltor and what that her, her relationship with that has been um, has been really fantastic we loved seeing Dreamer being incorporated into something like Lazarus Planet yeah. we loved Lazarus Planet thank you I'm curious now though that Dreamer will have some real space to occupy oh, this yeah. graphic novel touched on a little bit, but what can we really expect for that yeah. character? So this book takes place in Parthus, in Nia's hometown, uh, which is a hidden, secret, alien refugee town in the middle of, you know, nowhere America. And she has grown up in this incredibly diverse city with people all over the galaxy, all different uh, uh, backgrounds and experiences. And for some reason, the weirdest thing they have seen is a trans girl. And that is the one thing that these people cannot get their minds around, uh, which I think is something that uh, an experience that a lot of trans folks can understand, especially while, as we're facing scrutiny from other members of the LGBTQ community, and we're like, how are we the weirdos? <laughs> like, it wasn't that long ago uh, that we were all in this boat together. What happened? So she grows up in this town completely alone, and her only friend is her older sister, Maeve. And her Maeve has lived her entire life knowing that she was going to inherit their mother's future seeing powers, knowing that she was going to one day become this uh, seer, the superhero. And she's trained every day with her mom for that. And, and Mia has resigned to being the supporting character in her own life. And Maeve is the star. And I'm here to support her. I'm here to be the guy in the chair. I'm here to be the superhero suit designer. And I'm just going to cheer for her from, from the background. And when she gets pelted in the face with a kickball and unlocks her, her and awakens, she's like, crap, it's me. I cannot take this from her too. I cannot, you know, I know Maeve has lived her life feeling the pointing and the laughing and the whispering alongside me. I know it bothers her. 
and I can't take this from her too. And so she runs away to Metropolis just to put as much distance as she can between her and her sister so she can figure it out. She doesn't even know what to do. She has no, no idea what these powers are. She has no idea how to handle them. She's blacking out at weird times and having crazy visions that she doesn't understand. And then she finds community and she finds found family and she finds girls like her who have gone through something similar and she realizes or, or maybe learns what sisterhood is supposed to feel like and and and, and what community feels like um, and then of course I had to throw in some you know crazy space destiny superheroes null tour villains reach aside and because I, I like it flowery. I'm a superhero <laughs> nerd at heart. I, you know, I can't not. They were, they were telling me, um, you know, the young, the young adult novels. It's, it's not Bruce Wayne becoming Batman. It's Bruce Wayne becoming Bruce Wayne. And I was like, I hear you. What if? Yeah. <laughs> we did that, but also <laughs> with Batman. Yeah. Well, like, queer themes have always been part of mainstream comics, Absolutely. but it's always been like mutants and aliens, it's always yeah. been metaphorical. Absolutely. So how empowering has it been or challenging has it been to approach the trans story in a very like literal yeah. way? Well, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm doing both. Yeah. It's because she has this, uh, this uh, intersectional identity with being half alien herself. So. And, and growing up in this alien town, she's always felt her identities at odds. And when she goes away to Metropolis and she's brought to A-Town, which was first introduced um, in uh, Jadzia Axelrod's uh, Hot Girl, yeah. uh, which we know is like this like alien district in Metropolis, I was like, you know what, it's also the gay district. It is, it is alien and queer. It is the merging of that literal and the metaphor. It's, you know, we have all been the other, the outside, the alien. We know what that all feels like and that is an experience that unites us. And so Nia goes to this place and, and is for the first time seeing the two parts of herself not at war with each other and is understanding that, oh, maybe it is possible to just be myself and there are people who don't get wrapped up in all of that, who embrace that and celebrate that. I also like the theme of sisterhood yeah. and the idea of like when you're a sibling you are raised to create space for each mm -hmm. other and the idea of like the idea of being yourself is somehow stepping on the toes of someone yeah. you love exactly and the whole and the whole journey she has to go through is you know how much of myself am I going to continue to sacrifice to make my sister happy or is maybe it her responsibility to figure how she's going to deal with this news and it's not my job to water myself down, to uh, um, hide a part of myself. Um, and I think that is absolutely a metaphor for queerness, of course. We, as queer people, oh, do we stay in the closet because we don't want to make grandpa upset, we don't want to make mom cry or dad angry? Or do we, you know, say, this is who I am and you can either get on board or you can lose me, but I cannot force myself to be unhappy to make you more comfortable. Um, so that's that's been a major that is a major theme in the story. 
how has it been exploring the character in the comics form? What have you learned about your character through this medium? Oh, man. I mean, I already had such a relationship with right. Dreamer that it was actually pretty easy to translate it into comic books. Um, she's still just as excited as she is, but she's at this point in time, she's a little more serious about it because she's, she's coming into the DC universe all new. She doesn't know what anything is. Um, I've been talking a lot with Paul Kaminsky about this recently, actually. Um, and, and we're loving this idea of, like, she has these powers that grant her the infinite knowledge of what is going to happen, but she doesn't know who any of the players are. She doesn't know who anybody is or, or who's a good guy, who's a bad guy, who she can trust. She's just coming in this, like, I am just trying make the world safer. I am just trying to guarantee tomorrow and to protect the future. And so she has this like fierce drive to live up to the expectations of what her sister was supposed to be, what her mother was, and and having the fate of Earth on her shoulders when she doesn't know what anything is. Um, So she's still got all those fun quips that Dreamer has and she's definitely taken on more of a more I don't want to say she's more serious but but she's definitely I guess more urgent in her missions um, and there's just I'm so excited to do more with her there's just so much that, that needs to be explored and in, in the graphic novel she's very different from how we know her uh, previously because this is a Neo who hasn't turned into that fiery, excited to be there uh, young superhero. This is her when she's broken. This is her when she doesn't believe in herself or she doesn't believe she is destined for anything other than being the major supporting character in her sister's life. So it, it is I find it difficult sometimes to write younger Nia just because I'm so familiar with her in a different way where I'm like I gotta, she's gotta tell a joke here, right? She like, she's gotta be, and I'm like, no, she's not there yet. She hasn't, she's still in the space where she is hurting. And, and, and the, the uh, covering with humor comes after the trauma. She's in the trauma now. Um, so, so that's, that's been difficult, um, balancing those, those two, I guess, timelines or those, or those two selves. Um, and making sure that that character that we all know and love is is coming through. And I think it does in a few places. She has a few moments in this comic where you're like, there she is, that's our girl. And what about the form itself, seeing Dreamer being translated by now multiple artists? It's so cool. It's so cool. It's my favorite part of the process is getting to see Dreamer interpreted in different styles and by different artists. And, and getting to see the way that different people draw her powers and her suit and her hair and it's awesome and I've been so excited and of course with the graphic novel I'm working with Rye Hickman who has been doing spectacular work and I cannot wait for everybody to see what they've done. I mean the way that they have done Mia's visions is so cool in this book. We saw a preview of it in this most recent DC Pride. All of them are like that. They are these formless surreal upside down two page spreads that make no goddamn sense (laughs) 
and it's so cool and every one of them is just epic and awesome and I'm so excited for this book to come out so I can geek out with people about everything like specifically. That, that's what I'm also loving about what DC is doing with their YA books because I think that they're, the, knowing that it's for young readers who do not have that expectation for this is what comic books look like and this is how comic books operate, like comic books are finding this whole new audience of yeah. young people. I'm finding that I get to just tell the story. Yeah. And I and I'm not I don't have to try to fit it into a universe at large or I don't have to keep up with continuity. Because that was the hardest part with Lazarus Planet. That's scary. They were like, hey can you write this ten page comic? And I was like, okay well you're gonna need to send me every Doctor Fate book you can find. I need to know all about the Dark Justice League. I need to know all about what's happened previously. And and Mark was really great that it's sending me Lazarus Planet Alpha ahead of time and being like, this is everything you need to know. Like, just reading the Batman v. Robin stuff. It's a lot. And I was like, what happened before? <laughs> just meaning to like, because I was so out of it, because I was just in my graphic novel mode. And then when I started writing Lazarus, I was like, I am super not up to date with anything that has happened in the DCU right now. So trying to like play catch up so I could just for just for 10 pages. Uh -huh. Yeah. Just so 10 pages make sense. It was insane. Did it feel like an obstacle in your process of getting the graphic novel done? Or did it feel like, okay. No, it felt like actually a, a, a much needed break. And, and getting to do like DC Pride 2021 and getting to do Lazarus Planet and Son of Kal-El came at great times where I was able to, okay, let's put the graphic novel on the back burner for a second, let me focus on this, and so then when I can come, I can come back to it a little bit rested. Yeah. Um, it has been really helpful, and, and because it's so long form, we were, I wasn't rushed at all, and, and, and now as we've got the actual publishing date, and now that I've, now I'm like up against the wall. <laughs> That's another layer of I'm like, reality. I, I'm like, okay, I got like, I'm, I'm on the last act. We're on that last, like, 45 pages. And I'm like, I don't, my brain is mush. I don't have anything left. Because <laughs> that's the other part. I, I, I get to have breaks from it, but it's that same part of your brain that's always working. And, and, and the creative juices are like, we're giving her all she's got, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> There's no more. Yeah, well, I love, uh, I read another interview with you, and you relayed some of, Tom Taylor's advice to you of the idea of like use your good ideas. Use your best now. idea now. You'll come up with stuff down the road, but use what you got. And that was really, really helpful. I love him so much. He's been a really great help to me. And just getting to, and ahead of Lazarus Planet, even, um, I was reaching out to him and I was like, hey, I'm about to submit this. Can you take a look at these pages? Tell me what you think. Um, and he was like, this is great. You've got way too many words. Oh, yeah. And he gave me a great rule of thumb. He was like, on, on in any given panel, aim for 25 words, cap yourself at 50. Yeah. And I was over here like with 75, 80, and I was like, I mean, I'll try, but I'm a long-winded kind of gal, uh, if you've noticed. Um, <laughs> we appreciate it. We appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> content for us. So. Thank you. So then what's the future for Nicole as a comic creator? Well, there's definitely stuff that I can't talk about yet that sure. I can't announce have yet. Have you been bitten by the bug? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's so much stuff that I want to do with Dreamer. I have such high aspirations for her. I'm like, until she is every member of the Justice League. Yeah. Um, Jadzi and I love to, uh, I would say joke around, but I think we're dead serious of recreating the Birds of Prey with like her, Alicia Yo, and Galaxy. Yeah. And, like, 
I am I'm in so love. Excited. That has to happen. It would be so cool. Like, there's just Dreamer is a character that I'm so excited about because she has a power set that sort of instantly explains her her involvement in anything. Right. And and I think she has the potential to be this cool, sometimes villain of the week, sometimes big events, because anything that could reasonably threaten Earth's safety, she could foresee and she could be there. And now with this new power of hers to go into the dream realm and come out through a sleeping person anywhere conceivably in the world, in the country, in the solar system. She could be anywhere for any reason, and that is so much fun. I kind of want her to fight a dragon. Yeah. Yeah. We want to see. That. I don't know if you want to see. Who doesn't these? want to fight a dragon? You know, kind of like a Kim, like a Kim Possible almost. Yeah. Like you know, I'm here to save the world. I'm just your basic average girl who sees the future. I love Kim Possible being brought into this conversation. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. We're so excited for Dreamer. Uh, the, the future seems vast for Dreamer. Yeah, really I can't. I'm so excited. Yeah. I can't wait. There's so much cool stuff that we're going to get to do with her, and this graphic novel is just the beginning. Awesome. Thank you so much for chatting. With Thank us. you, of yes. course. Pleasure was mine. Yes, Lisa of the past. That was a delight. I'm glad I said it in the moment. Um, that advice about using your best ideas now mm. from via Tom Taylor, I think is a like a keeper because there is this sense of scarcity when it comes to good ideas. And yeah. you and you like want to withhold them for like some kind of, you know, hypothetical perfect situation in the future and and you know what more ideas will come have faith in yourself yeah i remember not to get too personal but i remember the the moment i gave up on writing my own novel mm. it was because like well i'm just not ready to write this idea yet and right. i kept starting it and going like oh, this is not good like the idea is too good and i'm not good enough for it and i quit on myself and if I could go back in time and tell that person or tell the Brad of the now who could still take that idea and run with it, you, you, you got to write your bad stuff first anyway. And this great idea that you have now, use it, write it. You might not execute it the way you want to, but then you have executed it and you've put it out in the world and then you move on to the next idea that will come. Right, right. Now, I think a lot about like one of the things I tell my students is like if they work super hard on a piece like a piano piece or whatever like the piece after that that piece is so much harder because now they know how much actual work it's going to be to do like the next thing because you know how much work a good idea can be it makes you not want to do it not yeah. out of like laziness but out of like self-preservation you start to become scared of how much effort something is going to take and 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 it makes you go like do i even have the resources do i even have the uh do i even have the the deep well of motivation to accomplish this thing now that i know how much work it is so let's take our advice from nicole mains and tom taylor and just Get to that good idea now. Yes. You know, start creating with what you've got. Yeah. So as we said at the top of the show, Bad Dream, A Dreamer Story with Rye Hickman will be available next year, April 2nd. But you can find Nicole Main's Dreamer Stories right now on the shelves as well. Lazarus Planet, the main event, just published as a beautiful hardcover. Go seek out that book. Go seek out her stories in Superman, Son of Kal-El. And... 
pre-order. Pre-order Bad Dream. It's available for pre-orders to do that. We've done it. Yeah, and it's one of the best things you can do for new creators is pre-order their book. I don't think that was something that I really appreciated until we did Comic Book Couples Counseling, mm -hmm. is FOC, Final Order Cutoff. That's so important. That tells the publishers there is a demand for this book. And if there's a demand for this book, there's demand for the next book. Yes. So when you pre-order something like Bad Dream, A Dreamer Story, that's saying, hey, we want more Nicole Mains. So support Nicole Mains, support your favorite creators, Always pre-order. Get those issues in your subscription box. You're going to buy it anyway. Unless you're uncertain that you're going to buy the book. Especially if you're ordering from your local comic book store. They're an independent business. They can't afford to be ordering books that you're not going to buy. So buy your books. Yeah, and also, though, pre-order from your local comic book shop and then yes. buy the book. Right? Yes. Like, do both of those things at your local comic book shop because they also need your support. Yeah. And speaking of rad comic book shops, Four Color Fantasies, the shop in Winchester, Virginia, that we partner with for our Alamo Drafthouse comic book screenings. Our next one is next Sunday, the 27th. Uh, we are going to be screening The Mask, co-sponsored with Four Color Fantasies. But the day before, at Four Color Fantasies, Trad Moore, comic book artist extraordinaire, will be in attendance, not only signing books like Doctor Strange Fall Sunrise, but he'll be auctioning off three original art pieces. Yes. That is a raffle that you can partake in if you're in the area. They're not shipping to anybody, these pieces. But dude, if you're in the area, you gotta drive Four out. Color Fantasies, just as a store, is worth the drive. Absolutely. And we're gonna be there on Saturday for the raffle, for the signing. And Tradmore the next day will be at our mask screening doing an introduction in person. And tickets for that screening are $4 only. It's part of that national cinema event that is going across the country and all movies i think on that day are four bucks so even if you're not in town and you can't go to the mask check out what's playing at your local theater and go see a movie for four dollars then our next screening is the entire dark knight trilogy on 9 17 starting at noon um, you do have to buy each ticket individually, but they're all $7, so $21 for the whole batch. And you get to spend the whole day with us celebrating the bat. And we're getting some creators to do virtual introductions for, that, for those movies. We haven't locked all that down yet, but uh, you should be excited for those intros, too. And yeah, we're working on our October screening, and man, if the October screening goes as according to plan, it could be our biggest Alamo Drafthouse Winchester event yet. Oh, cross your fingers, friends, cross your fingers. And as we've previously mentioned, we are going to be everywhere in the fall. <laughs> we are going to be at Fantastic Fest in Austin. We're going to be at Lost Weekend in Winchester. We're going to be at New York Comic Con. We're going to be at Baltimore Comic Con doing some panels. And, of course... There's SBX. Yeah. I am overwhelmed, but it's supposed to be all good. Yes. I am an anxious person. Yes, 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 yeah. It's exciting to finally like announce that we'll be covering all those events as press. Uh, it's you know it's it's always fun to attend those shows, and there's so much going on at those shows this year. Excited to connect with a bunch of our friends. Christian Ward will be going to New York Comic Con. We just had a conversation with him about Batman: City of Madness. It's so good. That conversation will drop in September. 
September. That book is so, so good. We had a conversation with Dave Chisholm talking about Miles Davis and the search for the sound. This book is so good. We have been reading the best stuff. And then we had a conversation with Patrick Hovarth talking about Beneath the Trees Where Nobody Sees. Which you should be buying because it is great. I would imagine that all three of those comics, which we read back to back to back in one week, are going to be, as Lisa just said, in the stampies. But we are getting ahead of ourselves, Lisa. We got to talk about our final San Diego Comic-Con episode, which will be dropping at the end of this week. It's a full celebration of the Energon universe from Skybound. We had a chance to talk with Robert Kirkman, Joshua Williamson, and Daniel Warren Johnson about what they've got cooking with those G.I. Joes and Transformers. And if you have not read the latest issue of Void Rivals, you need to do so because it is the best issue yet. And we did that interview roundtable style with some of our friends. Lance from the Comic Book Keepers, Jeremy from the Geekly Grind. It was a lot of fun. It's such a hype episode. And yeah, I'm excited for all things Energon Universe. And don't forget our Patreon, Brad. No. We have done it. What I thought was impossible because I had no faith in us. We have done at least one episode for all 75 issues of Sandman. It took two and a half years, 75 issues of the original run. We've done 82 episodes. Yeah, and a a lot of those episodes are like, they're all over an hour. It is so much (laughs) content. Our final conversation, which we recorded in the woods of Virginia, is almost two hours long, all about Sandman 75. It's such a celebration. It's such an achievement for Comic Book Couples Counseling. I'm so proud of what we've done with those Sandman episodes. And a lot of the conversations that we had talking about those issues has really shaped our worldview and we really end up talking a lot about how stories change our lives. And so you can listen to those episodes by joining our Patreon for just one dollar. Yeah. That gets you access to all 82 of those episodes plus our movie reviews plus our conversations with other creators. We do creator crannies. We're doing a new series called Married to Singles in which we talk to creators about their favorite single issues. Daniel Warren Johnson, speaking of Daniel Warren Johnson, premiered that series talking about one of his favorite comics, The Nom Number Nine from Marvel Comics. And we've got Chris Somney coming up to talk Mm -hmm. about his favorite comic and Jason Ayers of the WWE coming on to talk about his favorite comic. So yeah, Patreon, $1 access to all of that stuff. We are barreling headfirst into burnout, and it is all for you guys. And it's for us. Yeah, we love it so much. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. So, Brad. Yes. Where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you? You can find me on most social medias at MouthDork. If you have some words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation? Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. I'm starting to slur my speech, so I'm going to (laughs) slow down. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher RIP. Uh, I think we have till the 29th. I think Stitcher (laughs) goes away on the 29th. YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get so much content, including weekly bonus episodes. Yes, if you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, 
I refuse to call it by that other name. Threads, Blue Sky, High, Facebook, at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Perfect. Thanks. One more to go! No!